to the second season of Pop Culture Elevator. You might get off on the wrong floor, but it'll still be the right one. I'm Danny. And I'm Mark. We're going to follow the rabbit down some deeper holes, and we might just make it to Wonderland. That sounds like the adventure we're looking for. We will deep dive into some newer films, but also take a look at some of our older favorites. No movie is too big or too small for us to handle. And hey, we'll even have some time to talk about film news and our favorite celebrities. That's why we're the host of Pop Culture Elevator. Now let's, let's get, get this show on the road. And passengers, we'd love for you to message us. So if you'd like to, you can reach us at a few different places. Our email is popcultureelevator at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is PCE Podcast. Instagram is at popcultureelevator. Facebook is facebook.com slash popcultureelevator. When Mark and I talk about pop culture, we have a hard time censoring ourselves. So there are spoilers. Some of these spoilers are many years old and some only a few days old. We just want you to know what you're getting into. So if you haven't seen the movie we were talking about, you might want to pause this and watch said film. This is your spoiler warning. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culture Elevator. We are on episode four of season two. That's right. And we have a special treat for you guys today because we are not the only ones talking today. We have a guest. Isn't that right, Danny? Yeah, we do. We've got Dustin Sims with us today, calling in from, uh, well, not calling in, but zooming in from uh, Portland, Oregon. Hey there, passengers. <laughs> yes, he even knows the terminology. Yes. And then, Dustin, thank you so much for coming on. It's been forever since we've seen you. I remember us being uh, good friends there my freshman year out there in Abilene, and then just nothing, darkness. And so you moved off, we moved off, back. I moved back to Dallas and whatnot. But it is just so good to see your face again, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really nice having you guys to listen to these last eight or nine months. Well, I haven't been seeing a ton of friends, so I figured it would be nice to join once. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. The, I've been trying to push it. I've been like, Dustin, you got to come on. Let's find a movie for you to come on. And yes. we, I, I told him, I, he, he's one, one of the people I always bounce ideas off of. And I'm like, what, uh, what do you think about these movies? And, and he looked at the list of Christmas movies and was like, hey, I can join in on Die Hard. I like Die Hard. Yes. yes. Uh, so, yeah, we're doing Die Hard Passengers, if we hadn't said that already. Um, it is a Christmas movie. Officially on this podcast, we consider Die Hard a Christmas movie. Hey, Mark, you want to hear something? Yes. Last night mm-hmm. was the first time I've ever watched Die Hard in my whole life. Uh, never have I ever seen Die Hard, ever. I picked this movie because I'd never seen it, and I've always heard it's a Christmas movie. Hey, Passengers, <laughs> uh, you can't see my face, but it is one of bewilderment, and I am, I am how. How, How have you not seen this movie? You know, I have no clue. Um, it probably goes along with some of those other movies that were like classics back in the day that people miss out. And then they're like, well, I, I missed out on it when it was huge. And then no one ever like was like, let's watch it together. And so I just ended up going on with my whole life. I've, I've still never seen Braveheart. And people are always like, you've never seen Braveheart? I, I, I can never... kind of understand Braveheart just because it's so long. You know, it's like watching a Lord of the Mo- <laughs> Rings movie. You've got to be invested for that time. <laughs> yeah, you and you've got to make sure you're going to be awake. But, but Die Hard, like, that's a... Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that your dad or your brother didn't make you watch it at yeah, some but, point you know, in my, time. My dad and brother aren't really like movie buffs. Check my 
my older brother's favorite film is like Twilight. If Twilight comes on, Brian is stuck. Like he'll watch it the whole <laughs> way through. I don't know, understand. I don't understand. This is the guy who like rose, you know, raised me on like Point Break and stuff yes. like that. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, and Twilight. He's like, I don't know, man. I just like a, a teen vampire flick. <laughs> That's why my bewilderment was at a ten. I'm like, how? Like, but no, Brian. Like, come on. Just never. But that's never, so funny. That's really cool. You finally got to watch it. Right. Finally. Um. And I can, without a doubt, say this is a Christmas movie. I mean, nice. Okay, good. I'm glad we don't have to have that debate here. I don't understand how it's how it's not a debate. It's like uh, it's like son-in-law's a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dustin, what's your take on the whole uh, Christmas movie Die Hard? I mean, to me, it definitely is. I think it's become such a a heated topic that a lot of people have kind of made it an obnoxious like hill they've died on. So, so it makes me. <laughs> Like, afraid of being one of those people that it's like, yeah, it is because, like, I am one of those people that traditionally doesn't get a lot out of the holiday film besides, you know, a few that I grew up with or whatever. So being one of those guys, it's like, it's Die Hard is my favorite Christmas movie. It makes me feel a little bit, you know, questionable, but I can't, I can't deny it. And watching it again, I was definitely hit by like the music and, you know, they, they bring up Christmas throughout the movie and like, it has like a pretty wholesome story arc for the, the main character that feels very much of like in the Christmas spirit. So I feel like it's pretty undeniable, even if it's been kind of ruined as a point. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. no, it, it makes me think of stuff like Home Alone. Like Home Alone's a Christmas movie, but it's not about Christmas, you know. It just yeah, happened during like Christmas. Die Hard for Kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's exactly right. <laughs> Macaulay Willis. Oh geez. Let's oh, will awesome. will that into existence. I know that they're um, they're they're already. Um, I guess it's it's maybe it's not rumored. Maybe it's closer to it is happening, but. Uh, they're doing a movie called McLean, and it's it's mm-hmm. supposed to be the last Die Hard film. Uh, I, I then then after they say that they'll milk it for like three children's movies. <laughs> so yes, like I would love to watch that. Like maybe a prequel of uh, I forgot his son's name in the, uh, a Good Day to Die Hard, but uh, yeah, his son like as a little kid, like full going full Home Alone on somebody. That'd be funny. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Someone, it's so funny how we have all these, you know, they're rebooting uh, Home Alone with, uh, without Macaulay Culkin. I mean, he's going to be a cameo, but it's not anything oh, like okay. that. And it's just a very small cameo. He's playing Kevin McAllister, but the whole movie's based, we talked about it a few episodes back. But, um, or Want to be season. like the guy that's like on the news and it's like, make sure you lock up everybody. That's really the they, Channel 5 news for you. What they should do <laughs> is, is have Macaulay Culkin be an adult. And he's got either a, a, yes. a husband or a wife. Yes. Uh, and and Harry and Marv get out for burglary. It's been 30 years. Harry and Marv get out. Uh-huh. And it's about them wanting to get their revenge on an adult Kevin. I, I completely agree. The only other spin to that would be, uh, you know, they, they, they all their kids are just kind of out. So it's Macaulay's kid and his house. And then uh, the kids of like Harry and Marv are now thieves, and they're starting a whole new. I would. Thing. I would. But like that would be to, hilarious. I would like it to be like because uh, the dad, the guy who plays the dad in the movie, uh-huh. Home Alone, 
uh, he is actually he actually died uh, several years back. Uh-huh. And so, what if they had it like Catherine O'Hara comes back as as Kevin's mom, and she's packing up everything after the dad has died, and they're going to move out of that house, and Harry and Marv happen to go back to see if they're still living there, and there's uh, grown up Kevin and and Buzz and all them, and he wants to get back. I wonder what Buzz's girlfriend looks these looks like these days. What did he say? She's a dog. A wolf. <laughs> Sorry, we went off on a tangent. Back to Die Hard. Back to Die Hard. Um, so Die Hard was was directed and uh, directed by John McTiernan, who uh, previously did uh, Predator before it, and yes. uh, later on did Last Action Hero with Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a. Uh, a bunch of movies I had actually not heard of. <laughs> Dustin, you've watched, watched a few of me. Yeah, I did some did some homework this time. So I watched his first film, uh, Nomad, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But I mean, he, it's still very well directed. It's just, you know, he's still kind of processing his influences and figuring out his point of view, I think. But it, so... Overall, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but it was really interesting to go back and see like how assured his directorial voice was from like go like because it was it was Nomad, I think that's what it's called. I hope I'm right. Um, and then mm-hmm. Predator, and then Die Hard. So Die Hard is only on his third like you know big movie, and he's already just like so like he just seems very like he knows what he's doing, knows what he wants. I mean, he also had a great director of photography, uh, Jan Vandevant, Jan Vandevant. I don't know how to say. I think names. Um, I think it's yogging soft J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's always really cool to to go back and see these older films, um, these older films of these directors, and, and see how. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it's Jan. Maybe it's Jan Debont. Well, yeah. I mean, it's either way because I have a cousin named Jan, and it's spelled the same way. So I oh, really yeah. might be Jan. Um, it might be but I also went and watched his his next picture, which was Hunt for Red October. Uh-huh. And I mean, that is definitely not as much my speed of like a, it's very like a, I'm going to make a highbrow action movie more than, you know, like there's lots of drama and like big performances of, you know, Sean Connery as a Russian and things like that. But it was still like, it just looked great the whole time. And it was like, you know, it was a really easy movie to watch. Well, here's something right. interesting. I, I clicked on, Jan or, or Jan DeBont's uh, list of stuff he's done. He directed uh, Speed. That was his first directorial yeah, I was debut. Get there. I feel like Die Hard and Speed are kind of like the opening and the closing chapter in a period of American action movies. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Absolutely. Agree. But he also did Twister. Uh, he did Speed 2. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what that's a staple in movie culture now the last all. the last movie he directed was uh tomb raider the cradle of life the, i guess isn't that the sequel yeah yeah but uh and then he did the haunting um wow with with liam neeson and Catherine zeta jones and owen wilson i whatever the haunting of hill house is based the the show yeah, is the house on haunted hill yeah, that With the Captain haunting is, is the is based on the books and all that. So. Oh no, no, yeah, those are the same. I Sorry. didn't realize that. Wrong. House on Haunted Hill are not the same. Excuse me, Captain Zeta Jones. Oh, that's right, she was in. I totally forgot. 
Am uh, I wrong? Is it no, not? no, no. Actually, no, no. Yeah. So Catherine Zeta Jones is on the House on Haunted Hill. Um, the the oh, I can't remember her name, but she was the ex girlfriend in High Fidelity. That's really sad. And he's like, I don't, I can't go into this. Uh, you know, it's not fair. That was the main character of the haunting from the movie. But yeah, the the haunting of like Bly Manor and all that are based off of those. The yeah. Haunting. Okay, yeah. The Haunting was a different movie. It came out the same year as The House on Haunted Hill. Exactly. That's my bad. But The yeah. Haunting is the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones. 100% okay. sure I'm looking at it right now. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking of because I thought maybe she's another role in that. But I thought the main character in The Haunting uh, was the one who actually goes there and is like running through the house. Oh my gosh. Maybe I'm just superimposing somebody else's face in that movie in my head. The house on haunted Hill was the one where I was like, why the crap did they put uh, Chris Kattan in a horror film? I'm such a jerk. Yeah. Oh, that was hilarious. He was hilarious. But uh, no, Catherine Zeta Jones, you're right. It was in the haunting. And I'm thinking of Famke Jensen. Famke Jensen was in the house on haunted Hill. Yeah. Just my head put her in that. I don't know. Is but John Leguizamo you know, in this movie? In, no, it's in not. Never mind. Movie? No. I saw a very tiny thumbnail, and it was actually Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> and it looked like John Leguizamo. Anyway, yeah, again, yeah. we are uh, getting uh, way off way off target here. That's right. But uh, another one that uh, our director did was uh, Thomas Crown Affair. I used to love that movie. I went to Mark. What? What? Was it Rene Russo? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, of course, that's why you love that movie. Her boobs are out the whole time. No, I don't. That don't get me wrong. Like Renee Russo is very beautiful, but like I love when uh, he steals the painting and he like tries to put it, or he does put it back, and he sets the fire alarms off, and then the painting is like kind of like been there the whole time or something like that. Uh, oh, I just thought that was so cool. But yes. Um, bonus Jonathan and I saw <laughs> that movie sorry just a random topic Jonathan and I saw that movie with my mom and brother my my mom was going to uh, take us to go see the South Park movie <laughs> yeah and uh it had just wa- gotten out of theaters and so we were like well let's go see the new James Bond film you know it wasn't really James Bond but yeah. to us uh what's his face Pierce Brosnan Pierce Brosnan was James Bond. And so we're like, let's go see the new James Bond actor film. And so, uh, yeah, that was very awkward sitting there seeing uh, Rene Russo's boobs, the whole dang movie. Uh, but it is actually, actually is a very good movie. Yeah. It's a very good movie. Um, so here we have uh, Die Hard and uh, we just talked about McTiernan and his group of people. Um so Bruce Willis, he's coming in town for his wife's Christmas party. They, uh, you know, uh, Miss Gennaro, uh, she's using her maiden name. Uh, she got a promotion, moved to New York. And uh, as we find out with the talk in the limo with Argyle, he kind of didn't think she was going to make it. So he didn't bother to pack so, and, and deal with the moving there and moving back. And so um, now he's there to try and for kind of, bring the family back together. Well, and I don't, I, I don't necessarily know if he's there to actually try to do anything other than maybe see his kids. Like it just felt like he was pretty no, ready. To, he's no. like, hot like, Oh, that's very mature. John kicking himself about how certain sure. actions go. And I, I think he cares. I think he cares. I, I think he does care. I just think he wasn't, I don't think he thought 
that he was going to end up uh, back with his wife. And I don't think that she thought so either, although she kind of says it's more of a business decision to use her uh, maiden House. name. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but uh, it's, you know, I, I think that both of them kind of accepted that this, that relationship could be over. Um, but I think both of them, they, they both express hope that, that this could work out. And they both seem happy that they both are kind of on the same page, but then their arguments start right back up. Uh, all the problems that they had right before they left. And I, you know, the sad thing is, is like you see them argue and you're like, oh, I've been in that argument before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and Dustin, anytime you want to jump in on something, just interrupt us. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think the premise definitely feels like, you know, there was an undercurrent of 80s anxiety about the, what the career woman meant for the, the family unit. And it's kind of like a, especially like a, like a Reagan era moment in time of like, that's that's his conflict with his wife is that you know she's doing the thing that's modern and he doesn't he's not ready for that and he doesn't really believe in it or like believe in it succeeding and now he's having to deal with that and it's not that he's a bad guy he's just from that time and he's having to adjust and kind of learn that you know maybe maybe he should have been the supportive husband in this case because he's a cop in new york and he could have come out to la and tried to rebuild that career there Right, right. And we have those those moments uh, where he thinks he's going to die and he's telling Officer Powell, uh, or is it Sergeant uh, Powell, Sergeant yeah, Powell. Uh, to um, basically tell her those things uh, right before he kind of goes into a firefight or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was it's a great uh, illustration of that time. I think you're exactly right, Justin. I think, uh, you know, going into Bruce Willis here, I think Bruce Willis – does a very good job with this film. Like, you know, maybe Bruce Willis may not be the best actor out there. Um, but you know, I've seen him in movies where he's a totally different character. I mean, look at death becomes Mm her. Um, but I also have seen him in the John McClane mode a lot more, uh, especially like movies like fifth element, you know? Yes. Um, but I think he's a pretty good actor and, uh, does a really good job, uh, chewing the scenery in this film. Uh, and, (laughs) and just, playing such a he's he's not sure of himself the whole time but he's gonna play that he is and uh i i just kind of love the stuff he does in this movie but um i i really do like bruce willis i i do uh like the sixth sense is like one of my favorites oh yeah and i i got a kick out of the whole nine yards and a oh, couple the of the subsequent oh yeah i loved loved that and he was in armageddon and the jackal i love the jackal Dustin, were you saying something? Sorry, yeah. So before this movie, he had a TV show, uh, Moonlighting or Moonlight. Uh, it was kind of like a sitcom or like very much not in the same genre. And I think he had had one other completed film. And when they were when they were casting this movie, they initially they had to offer it to Frank Sinatra. Excuse me, Frank Sinatra, because he played the same character or the same another the character based on another book in a previous film. But he was seventy at the time, so obviously that was just a courtesy of like the rules. And then they went to like you know big names like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and like that. Like I think it was like ten different names before they got to Bruce Willis. And wow. And when Bruce Willis, so this movie's budget was like, I think 25 or 30 million and Bruce Willis got 5 million of that, which at the time for an actor of his level of establishment was like unheard of. It was a huge, so like 
there's a lot of like I was looking up, you know, I'm sorry to go all Wikipedia on it. No, you're great. No, this is great. I was looking into this and people were there was a lot of like industry like what does this mean like if like this level of an actor who has a TV show and one other, you know, minor movie. I think he had a second movie that dropped right before Die Hard, but it hadn't been created yet when he got signed on to Die Hard. It's like this guy's getting, you know, five million. What does that mean? We have to pay like the Clint Eastwoods or, you know, who even if you're just have one established movie under your belt, are you getting more than five million? Like Tom Selleck now is going to get this level of pay. And so it was a huge thing. And it seems like a lot of the early reviews focused on that Bruce Willis didn't necessarily carry this character. But to me, like, I mean, I like Alan Rickman as much as the next guy. And he was also oh, yeah. a kind of come out of nowhere guy. But Bruce Willis makes this movie. Like if you had cast Stallone or Schwarzenegger, it's an entirely different film. Exactly. Like, like, so I think he has that believability of like, you are a regular guy that is in over your head, which I think is a trick that only really worked once for me, which is part of why the sequels aren't as exciting for me. Because once you're that hero, you're always that hero. So now you are. Like it's, you're not just the regular New York cop that's in over his head trying to fight, you know, these thieves or terrorists or whatever they end up being. Yeah. I think the sequel kind of does a good job of kind of, uh, well, because he's not a fish out of water in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Right. And yeah, that is the back best in sequel New York. Far. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're the villain. It's his, uh, it's his brother, right? Uh, it's Hans Gruber's brother. Uh, I just think that that one was great. But then you start putting him into those other situations where it's like, okay, man, we kind of know you can handle this, but they still treat him like the old man, right? Well, it's it's great. John McClane is like looked at as like the action hero of the of the later '80s, mm-hmm. which kind of um, on the on the other end of it, the female end, where uh, where Elaine Ripley is the is the female hero of the '80s kind of thing. Mm. I don't know. I feel yeah, like they get compared a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, so the other movie he was in, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction, didn't come out till much later, where he was um, Butch, and he again, he's kind of—I don't know if he's a fish out of water, but he gets himself into some hot water and uh, with like boxing betting, and it just leads on to this crazy story. But um, you know, I just think that. Um, Die Hard being kind of having come out in 88 really gave him that kind of crown for that late 80s like epitome of act uh, of movie star like for the action genre yeah yeah and he's not you know the funny thing is is that uh, when I think of Bruce Willis I also think of comedy yeah because he's actually pretty good with his comedy his his comedic takes Um, like looking at Death Becomes Her like that movie just cracks me up (laughs) Um, yeah, he really sells those, you know, those like one, those. He's talking to himself for like a good chunk of the movie, and like I, I'm trying to picture like Arnold Schwarzenegger sitting there like mumbling to himself. It's like, oh yeah, it's just, it's not the same. Of like Bruce Willis sells this character to me in a in a pretty specific way that it, like it, it seems like he really overall ended up earning that five million dollars, as wild as it sounded at the time, and. Oh, it's, yeah. it's funny going back and seeing people talk about how like he didn't pull it off or he wasn't worth the money or whatever. And it's just like, man, like this movie, I don't think would be nearly as iconic or memorable if it weren't for Bruce Willis. Oh no. He's, he makes the film. There's no, there's no movie without him. I and mean, Hans Gruber's a great bad guy. Alex, Alan Rickman's amazing. Rest but, in peace. Uh, it is, it is hundred percent. The movie's made by Bruce. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I love their chemistry too. I think them as yes. a team, like that scene they get together, 
when they're like they both you know are trying to play it off like they don't they aren't sure who each other are it's yeah. just that was great um, oh, so bruce willis plays john mcclain we've talked about that he's there for his wife's uh christmas party was there to pick her up or to go home with her his wife being played by bonnie uh bedelia who i tried mm-hmm. to look up uh what she was in before but it looks like her biggest claim to fame is die hard and its sequel die hard yep. 2 Right. There was a movie that I forget who it was. Somebody either in the cast or crew had worked with her previous to this. And that's how she was thrown in the mix. Yeah. It's funny. You know, Joel Silver or somebody. Doesn't she, she looks like that part though. The eighties wife who could handle herself. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I really like their chemistry. And like, I like Mm -hmm. that they both seem like realistic. Like you, you look like normal people to some degree. Do yeah, and they kind of go with each other. They're both very strong-willed people. It's all, they're they're meant to be together. I'm curious since I haven't seen Die Hard two. I know that she comes back for that one. Um, do they recast her in with the Vengeance and uh, the other movies? They don't show her. I don't believe. Oh. Yeah, they okay. they talk about her, but they don't show her. But even the fact that like one of the movies later on isn't it about his daughter getting kidnapped? Don't you think they would show the wife? No, they they again they just talk about her. I don't believe they show her, right, Dustin? Yeah, I, I think I I don't even remember what the status of their relationship is by the third one. I I watched the third one Split. last year as well. Yeah, so I think. Okay. I think she's just done after that. I don't remember the second one. Well, I, I think it's what, really all this danger that split them up. You know, every time they get together, like a terrorist, a terrorist comes into town uh, that he has to deal with. And, uh, but there's also uh, th- this whole thing that starts this franchise uh, as far as the relationship is concerned. I don't think he ever really comes to terms with it. So his old fashioned way of thinking, I think is part of their demise. I do wonder, I've been interested in the fact that I've been interested in wanting to read the books that it's based on. Um, Because it's based on a book. I'd be interested to see how they kind of brought that up. If the movie follows the book very much, or if it's just, what did you say, Dustin? You said Frank Sinatra played a character from the dude's original books. So yeah, this was a series that this the Die Hard was based on a book from a series, and Frank Sinatra was the star in another film adaptation of a book from the series. So I, I haven't read any of them or anything, but that was just one of those weird Hollywood deals where if somebody's already played this character, I guess they get the respectful right of first refusal to play them again. Yeah, I wonder at that how time at least old Sinatra would have been in '88. Uh, Uh, I think he was 70 against terrorists I don't think he'd be that great (laughs) oh gosh could you imagine if Sinatra said yes oh that's life Uh, that's what all people say um, so then we have uh, coming in as Sergeant Al Powell who's another heart of this film not just part but heart uh, played by Reginald Vell Johnson who we all know and love as Carl from Family Matters. That's right. And I feel like Reginald Bill Johnson only ever played cops. <laughs> Just about. Yeah, he, he the family man cop. Yeah, he's, he's always that. Because he even did that car, like, uh, where's car 54 or whatever? <laughs> uh-huh. Like, he was in that. And I was always like, why is Carl always playing a cop? 
Well, he got the Family Matters role, I believe, after being in Die Hard, partially because, yeah, it, seemed, it made sense that to makes, him in that role. Yeah, makes total sense. Now now I'm going to believe that Family Matters is just a sequel to it, Yeah, it's, the, it's in the verse of Die Hard. Yes, I love it. So, <laughs> so Carl shot a kid? <laughs> yeah, his arc in this movie, I think, aged maybe the worst out of anything for me. It's just rough in 2020 uh it really yeah that is uh when he when he told us that it's kind of like how i felt with gremlins when phoebe cates's character kate says that her father died in the chimney like but why do you feel like this arc that his arc didn't age very well because i mean are we are we spoiling things on a 30 year old no this is all about spoilers no, yeah spoil, <laughs> spoil away well they so it starts out with yeah like you find out and it, that he's accidentally shot a kid uh-huh. And and Bruce Willis is like, well, or, you know, John McClane is like, I'm very sorry that happened to you. And like, like, you went through that. And it's like, like, I get it. Like, that's, that's fair. But then like the, the conclusion to his arc is that he gets redeemed because he gets to shoot the terrorist at the end of the film, thereby yeah. proving to himself that he is still like a sh- cop capable of shooting people. And it's like, <laughs> like, okay, like, if that's, yeah. if that's what we're like, I mean, it's oh, like, is there like a re- critique in there that like, that's what we're asking cops to be like, that you're only useful if you can feel confident in your ability to shoot people. But I don't think there's that level of self-awareness about it. And like, no, yeah. and probably not in the eighties either. So that, well, there's a couple things that are different at that time. And like, for one, they hadn't even like started putting orange tips on guns, on play guns yet. Right. And so that was like, okay, that could happen to anybody. And if somebody was pointing a gun at me, I don't care how old you are, I'd probably shoot you first. uh, But um, also, I think, especially in this day and age, I think it's the level of threat that like, obviously, like, you know, that kid, I don't think he should have even had his gun out. But, uh, you know, with this terrorist, that's a terrorist level threat. Had your gun out. Now, I, I agree. Like, if you can't whip your gun out when a terrorist is in front of you, okay, maybe you're not with your salt or whatever. Well, but maybe the best job citizens, is the right yeah, I totally agree that uh, if you're going to be pulling your gun on every citizen and that's how you measure your worth, this does not age very well at all. I, I just there's that scene where he accidentally drives. Sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. No, oh, so he's like loses control of his car and like just <laughs> mad, heads backwards, like off an edge. And it's like, yeah, like maybe this guy is a desk cop. Like if you're going to be a cop, maybe I don't know. He's a little too scared, right, uh, to to kind of uh, do what he does. But he admits it. He was a desk jockey on his way home, essentially, and he just kind of got yeah. stuck with this call. And thrown back into the call for justice, I guess. What a great scene, too, because really, like, Hans could have just ordered the guy to shoot him and be done yeah. with it. Like, no one was really checking up on on uh, Al Powell. No one really cared. And I mean, even when he walked through the lobby, he was like, eh, everything's cool. Well, even- I mean, the, the Al, Al Jong, the guy, the actor Al Jong was ready to shoot him around that corner. Yes, Al Jean people, for those who don't know, it is so many cool things. Was uh, was Genghis Khan in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent That's right. Adventure? That's right. Uh, thought that was really funny. This movie is really funny for the parts, the fact that there's so many cameos. 
from yes. all these others, 80s, 90s movies, actors. I was so pleased that I got to tell you that Vigo was in this movie. He is Vigo! Vigo! I was like, oh my God, he's, they're first ripping out everyone out of the rooms and the first guy to rip somebody out of the room before they disturb a couple having an intimate moment during the party. Oh, that's right. That That's him, like, pulling somebody out of another room. And I was like, oh, that's Vigo! And, it's, uh, it's, I had and, and by the way, it's not an 80s movie without um, boobies popping out randomly at some that's point true. in the movie. That's true, although that, that statement uh, could stand true today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. It cracked me up because I was like, this is such a random nudity scene. Like, it didn't need to be in here at all. Well, I think it also illustrates the uh, difference uh, in what a Christmas party meant back in the 80s versus what it meant now. Really? Because I, I still Those hear Christmas parties be, are pretty crazy now. I, I have not heard of a crazy Christmas party in a long time, at least not like that. And now they would have had to go into HR and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Like, now uh, we're going to have to put you in a seminar. Uh, we heard you are canoodling uh, on company property. I don't think people use the word canoodle anymore. <laughs> I don't just giving you my phone voice. <laughs> I don't think canoodling is a real word anymore. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to bring that up to Webster and his dictionary. <laughs> I love that 80s moment where Harry Ellis goes in to try to reason with Hans, oh, Hans or whatever. And in the background, they yes. bring him out a Coca-Cola and you're because like, clearly he had just asked for something else and that's what they serve him. And he, <laughs> I don't I thought that was a really no, good gag. That was him. a perfect scene though too because he thought he had total control over everything yeah master of the deal type mentality coming in and like oh john mcclain knew like this dude shut up no clue you don't know me he's against this guy hardcore apparently Um, sorry uh, go ahead go ahead yeah Uh, apparently when they had that character in mind it was more of like he was just genuinely a suave like business-minded guy that was Mm going to come in and you know be that character and then the the actor they hired, I guess we're talking about actors, so I'll mention him, Hart Bachner, if I'm uh-huh. pronouncing that correctly, uh, decided that, you know, no, he's not, like, tr- he's not actually suave. He's just, like, out of his head on drugs and, like, thinks he's, like, the smartest guy in the room kind of guy, like, and really... Mi- sold that character in a better way oh, oh totally he sold it so well especially when bruce willis meets him for the first time and he's like <laughs> you missed a spot well not only that i mean he they caught him in like mid line yeah and he just like wipes it off the table all nonchalant i don't know if cocaine was illegal yet uh, so that was like another thing it might have been on the on the cusp of becoming illegal and so that's why bruce is kind of like hey what's up? by the late 80s uh, was it? Okay, cool. I, I, mean, but I could be wrong. I he's don't just know. so nonchalant about it. Because, you know, when you do something in front of a cop or even run a uh, stop sign, you're like, <laughs> you know, like, and he did, a, he played it pretty cool. And, uh, but yeah, that he's ta- like that scene you're talking about where, oh, excuse me, let's stay on this one. He comes in, Bruce Mill- Willis meets him, and immediately Bruce Willis is intimidated because uh, uh, this guy, uh, Ellis, is trying to. Uh, show him all the perks that Holly's been getting, show him the Rolex and she's made for this business and blah, blah, blah. And kind of really, uh, I don't know. I really feel like getting under Bruce Willis's skin. And then, and they kind of, and I think that's what led to their heated argument just, just after the scene. But then the other scene you're talking about where he feels like he's in control, just all the things that he says, where he's like, Hans, Booby, yeah, you're like, who calls anybody booby? (laughs) 
By the way, just to throw it out there, cocaine was legal in 1914. What? Yeah, okay, it's cool. just it was heavily there, there used. Was a lot in the of, 80s. It was treated a lot more casually than like crack. That was a big deal in the 80s because the different like you know it was upper class rich white people that were using one, and then poor people and lower class people using the other. And yeah. there was a big to do about how they were treated differently, and all the laws were a lot softer on people caught with cocaine even than crack, even though they were essentially doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it just goes you goes to show you the motive behind the war on drugs. And uh, so it's sad, but uh, it's very cool to watch these things. Yes, uh, I want to bring up more some more of the actors. Uh, for me, again, those moments of like, holy crap, that's blah blah blah. Uh, <laughs> Paul Paul Gleason. From, uh, who plays Dwayne Robinson, who's, I guess, a higher up in the police. I don't know if he's the captain. I guess he's the captain. Um, yeah. But Paul Gleason, of course, uh, from The Breakfast Club. He's the principal. Like, you've got the bull. I've got the horns. Yeah. It's like, I got you for the rest of your natural born life. Time to crack some skulls. <laughs> that, that was awesome to see him pop up. William Atherton who plays yes. Thronberg, who's the reporter who wants so badly to have his shot as the big reporter. Right. Um, and, and I'm sitting there going, hey, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the dick from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays that guy. He's always the guy kind of throwing a wrench in the gear somehow and just ruffling everyone's feathers. And he does it in Real Geniuses with Val Kilmer. Uh, he's that guy too. He's the professor that's just in the way. He's a jerk. Yeah, he just plays that good villainy, like just slime ball. Yeah, not so much a villain, but he's got his agenda, and he's got ways of getting in your way or messing up your career. I mean, threatens the uh, the cleaning lady with calling the INS. If if Uh, he had not talked to the kids, everything would have been okay. Yes, uh, with with the wife and all that stuff, not getting kidnapped by Hans Gruber. But um, it says though. Is it true? Yes, it is true. This man has no dick. <laughs> it's my favorite quote ever uh, for that guy. Um, and then we have, we keep bringing it up, Hans Gruber, the brilliant Alan Rickman. Yes. Um, who, rest in peace, gone too soon for sure. Uh, Harry Potter, Snape. Um, yep. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as the voice. Robin Hood. Oh. Robin, what? Yeah, yeah, you were talking about. Oh, did you, did you just, just hit you like, oh yeah, it's it's the it's the robot's voice in Hitchhiker's Guide. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, of course, Robin he Hood, was, Prince of yeah. Thieves, Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, he was so good, and <laughs> I like his line in there where he's like, "I'll cut your heart out with a spoon." And the guy's <laughs> like, "Why a spoon? It's dull. It'll hurt more." Oh Love gosh, him. man, he was such a good actor. Just so good. I really feel like he um, is one of those actors that is textbook as far as just an um, amazing skill level. Yeah, and uh, apparently he's scary. He was was scary to work with, you know, because you're like trying to play off Alan Rickman. And uh, God, I I wish I could remember there was an actor talking about how he, he was in a movie with Alan Rickman and he was just like, I'm going to screw this up. I'm going <laughs> to screw this up because Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman would be like, no, you've got to get it with feeling. You know, you got to have this feeling. Uh, wasn't Alan, was Alan Rickman in uh, yeah, he was, he was in um, 
Love Actually as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Galaxy yeah. Quest. Galaxy Quest was so yes, good. Oh, he yes. was so good in the Galaxy. Oh, the Dogma. and Dogma. This is what it is. Alan Rickman, uh, Alan Rickman and um, uh, 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 Tim Allen did not get along for Galaxy Quest. And so That's Tim funny. Allen was just like, why, you know, Tim Allen's this gross, like he's telling these jokes that are inappropriate and stuff. And, <laughs> and um, like of course, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is... Um, is trying to be the the go between for Alan Rickman and Tim Allen, and um, there's a scene where Tim Allen's like saying how he screwed up and he needs to do this stuff or whatever in the in the scene, and Alan Rickman just whispered to Sigourney Weaver, "Now that's fucking acting." Nice. <laughs> so, like, kind of have that little bit of respect there. Um, yeah. And then he said, you know, he said it, and then Tim Allen made a big old joke right after it, and he's like. Ugh. Yeah, like you, 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 had to, you had to ruin that, the moment. That moment, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's the voice of God in Dogma, the Metatron. Metatron, yeah. <laughs> I just remember the scene where he has to prove that he's not going to rape her. So he pulls his pants <laughs> down. He's like, "There's nothing there. I'm like a Kendall." Kendall. <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah. Just like Bruce Willis, this was also kind of his first real shot at anything, you know this big and he just knocked it out of the park and it's i what a to get two actors like that that are kind of unproven in that moment in time and that they both are able to nail these roles in such a memorable and iconic way is really really lucky now in watching this did you realize kind of early on like alan rickman has a hard time staying in uh accent well and I mean, he does. He only does the American accent for that one scene, right? He does but, such a good job. Yeah. So they heard him doing that like off camera once, and they wrote that scene. Like they put that scene in because they like just liked his American accent. And they That's also awesome. had to change up a plot point because I guess originally they had these watches that were, and he saw one of the terrorists have the watch, and so he sees it when he sees Alan Rickman. He sees him wearing the same watch and realizes, and they ended up cutting a scene that lost that, so they had to come up with a new way. I, so I like the scene. Cool. It's great. Yeah, he played. He. Uh, it, I thought it was such a maniacal move too, where you know he's asking the name and he pulls out a real name from the company, Billy Clay, and Billy he Clay. checks the list of people and where their room might be. But the fact that that villain knew to learn a name in case he's asked who he is, I just think that was so amazing. Uh, just a great, just a great quality of a villain. Yeah, I almost felt like it didn't give him enough credit that he didn't guess that the, the gun he was being handed was likely empty after that. Because it was like, I feel like you guys are playing this chess game. And I mean, we have to get the movie moving on. But realistically, I bet you would have thought, like, maybe he's testing me in this moment. Like, mm -hmm. Yes. So it, it's a really, okay, so for me, and I've said this before, we've watched a bunch of 80s films in the past few episodes. And, and how I've said 80s films feel a lot like a bunch of skits put together. Where this is like, for me, this 80s film feels very coherent in its like linear fashion. Uh, it doesn't feel like a bunch of skits put together. It actually feels like everything that would naturally progress in this situation. Yeah. Um, and I really like that. Uh, I did want to bring up some other actors really quick that were in this uh, that weren't like big parts. But um, Robert Davi, which immediately came on the screen and I was like, he plays um, Big Johnson. Oh yeah! Immediately yes. he comes on the screen, and I'm like, Goonies. He's he's uh, one of the the bad guys. Yes, I mean, uh, so he's the Fratelli, one of the Fratelli, Fratelli brothers. Yeah, 
not not, not Francis. The, not Francis, Francis needed yeah. a toupee. Yeah, I can't remember the other. Francis name. is the one from. Uh, Francis is the one from the Matrix. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um, and, and then also, uh, oh gosh, I can't find his name, and that's going to bother me. But the dude who was in. Uh, the dude who was inside the um, manhole. Uh, he's from the Burbs. Yes. From Tom Hanks, the Burbs. And the blank check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about him. I don't know why I uh, why I put the IMDb away, but he, <laughs> he pops up and I was like, oh, that's the dude from the Burbs. Um, oh, he's just, a really funny guy. Yeah. And just the, the people that they put in this, the people that you recognize just even for a few seconds, like like Al Jong or Al, I'm sorry, I say Zhang. It's Al Leong. Leong. And uh, him, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Al Leong. You know, that, I didn't know his name off the bat. I was like, that's, the, that's Genghis Khan. And The funny guy is Rick uh, Ducomum. That's yeah, right. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And he, he passed away, what, 2015, I believe, at the age of 62. Oh, man. I mean, he was in Groundhog Day. And yeah, you said earlier he was in Scary Movie, and I, I thought he was hilarious as the parody of Sydney's dad from yep. Scream. He was hilarious. Uh, oh man, I, I just love that. So you know, this movie is just—you've uh, never like for mine. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it forever and ever, right? And so, as a as a kid, I heard about it, and as an adult, I've heard about it, and it's all over in pop culture media. I mean, I watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, the main character, Andy Samberg's character, is just based his whole career off of Die Hard, like. Huh. Yeah, have you ever watched Brooklyn oh, yeah. Nine-Nine? Watching that show without the yeah. background is, um, you should. I know, I've seen it, but I did jokes. not realize that. That's I hilarious. enough about Die Hard, Nakatoma Plaza, and I knew that Hans Gruber gets thrown off the roof. I've seen bits and pieces of that. And so I knew enough that I could put all the pieces together and say, yeah, this is funny, especially the episode where he actually gets to do his own Nakatoma Plaza um, situation. <laughs> but... So it's, you know, I get it. I get it enough. But uh, now that I've seen the movie, I feel like I can feel a deeper sense of belonging to the Die Hard Understanding Club. <laughs> well, there's also the whole, like, Die Hard as a genre, which became basically, you know, like, the same structure and different types of situations throughout the 90s was like, like, we'll make Die Hard in an ice rink with sudden death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Or we'll make, you know, as recently as, like, The Raid was basically, like, a Die Hard style movie um but you know I forget what like they of the rock they call those genre of movies now they've got a name and i forgot what it's called i've always just heard die hard in a blank and that's like uh, under siege die hard you know kind of <laughs> with steven seagal it's like a citadel um, genre or something like that where it's just like it's based in one place and you're going up or down <laughs> kind of how dread was yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Dread was basically, which Dread and the Raid were so similar and came out in such a oh, the Raid so was together. so Raid is like one of my favorite action films. Yeah, such a good movie. Um, but yeah, it's that you know it, it is uh, very much a genre in itself. And you're right; it probably did. I think Die Hard was the start of that, um, of that that craze. Uh, any other you know thoughts on the movie? What else can we say? Uh, I just want to point out uh, one other actor who didn't do a ton, but uh, Devereaux White, I think as Argyle for me, especially this time, I just, I just love that character so much. And like, it's like the opposite of, 
you know, Carl Winslow. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm blanking on his the actor's name. Reginald like, Bill Johnson. Every scene he was in, I was loving it and just like added a nice touch of levity and, you know, it ended up being a part of the main plot by the end and everything. And I thought he was great, even though he isn't, he does not a ton of other things I recognize him from. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, so even his line where they get cut off, they cut the phone lines and their call gets disconnected. And he's like, use it. You know, the number use it. And he's just like kind of partying in the limo, like while he waits, yeah. it's so funny. Argyle was underused for me. I really liked his character, and I wanted to see him do more. I like that he he runs into the fake ambulance and knocks out the tech guy. I I, I loved all that, uh, and that that's probably an actor I would love. Uh, I think he, he was Theo, played by Clarence uh, Gillard Jr. That guy was hilarious, and. I, this whole movie I can quote like without I don't even have to watch this movie I just had the audio and I was saying the lines to myself and probably annoying the heck out of my wife and uh, yeah when he he comes in like making sports analogies and he goes boom two points and like I just love all of Theo's lines in this movie he's a great character as well just a super fun nerdy tech dude um, and not even actually pretty nerdy just just a tech dude and yeah. uh I, I like the natural progression of that whole uh, trying to get into the safe. Like that felt like, yeah. like I didn't know how they were going to, I had no clue how they were going to plan to get into the last part of the vault, which they kept talking about. And he's like, it'll be a Christmas miracle. That's on me. And um, having the whole FBI do that part yes. for them was kind of genius for me. Yeah. You wanted a miracle. I give you the FBI. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which just they sucked the fbi sucked yeah, they in this messed movie. up everything they messed up everything i think it was interesting the way that they had the yeah like they were thieves but they were disguised as terrorists and i think that kind of played on the anxiety like because early 80s action films are way you know there's a lot of processing vietnam war yes. and like you know the trauma from that and this one kind of moved on to like more 80s concerns of like you know, there's a Japanese business taking over in LA and like that was this kind of issue. And then like there's terrorists, but they're not real terrorists. They're actually thieves. Like, you know, they're, they're and playing off like that expectation of, you know, we're, we're afraid of being attacked by terrorists, but really these people are just out for money. And sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. that. that's, a, that's what happens when you're on pop culture elevator. But yeah, that that hacking and and drilling and everything into that vault, it was a really cool uh, suspense builder uh, throughout the whole movie. And you finally get past that power problem where the FBI shuts down the grid and they can get in. And uh, I forget what it's like, Odelaire that starts playing and they're all going all crazy in the vault, just like throwing everything into bags and whatnot. And it's just su such a fun part of the movie where they're just about to succeed if it wasn't for John McClane, if he wasn't still in the building. I, I love that. Oh, I, was, so uh, I was talking to friends today uh, at work, and we were talking about just how, uh, how insane the scene is where he is underneath the table, and the, the yes. guy is on top of the table walking, and he's like, there's not – there's a – what does he say? You're at no the end more of the line. Table. No more table. And he's like, word of advice when... Uh, you have the opportunity to shoot, shoot someone, never hesitate. And then he shoots him, and I was like thinking... 
that's the worst way to die is being <laughs> shot up your groin area, up your femoral arteries and leg thighs and all that. That just seems like the worst way to die. Oh, totally. Uh, and I have I mean, to, it's still drowning, but that's like maybe one of the most embarrassing ways. Well, let's say the worst you think you're way about to get somebody and they get you. The worst way to get shot. How about we say that? That feels okay. like the worst way to get shot is being shot up, up your body and not through the front. I don't know. And uh, I just kept thinking, like, maybe he was like partly still alive when he got thrown out of the window. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, and oh, speaking of like crazy death slash fights, the fight between uh, John McClane and Carl oh, was just so brutal. I mean, they're both there, I, well, because it becomes personal for Carl. Although he, you know, essentially they started all this, but he's mad that his brother died because his brother was kind of more of a tech guy than a soldier yeah. as well. And so he's kind of supposed to be looking out for him, I think. And when he dies, it becomes personal. And so when they fight, just the things that John McClane says to Carl, like, I'm going to cook you. I'm going to break your neck. You should have heard your brother squeal when I broke his freaking neck. Like, oh, just, just such great lines. Uh, and uh, then he hangs him by the neck. I want to know, Carl freaking... Uh, but how did he get down from Yeah, that? how did Carl get down from being a hun? <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like maybe the cops went up there and, and brought him down, and then he came back to life. And Ooh, maybe. Because he, well, uh, he wouldn't be walking out with a blanket. They would have cuffed him or something. Oh, right, yeah. But, well, no, uh, maybe I think they he, brought... There were some pipes next to him he could have yeah. crawled on or whatever. But, um, but let's, <laughs> let's talk about Hans Gruber for a second and that yes. ending scene. So Hans Gruber has uh, Holly, right? Holly Gennaro. Yes. Has Holly Gennaro in, uh, in his grasp and he's going to shoot her. And, and John is right there. And he's, it, that just whole scene is really tense and really well yes. executed. Um, but him. Okay. So earlier in the movie, when, when John, and I want to just make this kind of play here. Earlier in the movie, John McClane jumps off the roof while being connected to a water hose, <laughs> fire. a fire yeah. hose. Uh, and somehow out of just a loco, luck, lucky stroke of genius or whatever, he gets through a window and then the whole thing goes falling and he's going to be pulled out of the window. And it just kind of felt like that same kind of scene for, uh, for, for Hans as he's being pulled out the window <laughs> and then he grabs onto Holly's leg or uh, arm. Arm. And is grasping the Rolex that she was just yeah. given. Yep. Okay, so fun fact. I, I learned this one today. So they told uh, they told Alan Rickman that on three, that's when they were going to unclass the watch and he would fall. <laughs> and they had him on a stage. It sounds easy. So he, like he is going to fall. Like he's actually uh -huh. going to fall. Um, but to get a good reaction, John McTiernan had them pull it too. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so that reaction where he's falling is an actual like fear reaction oh, uh, from Alan Rickman <laughs> falling. Oh my, uh, that's so great. My, my, uh, when Alan Rickman died, I was, I was very sad and I, I actually made a meme about it on my very dead meme page. But uh, it's like when you hear the news that Alan Rickman died and it's that moment. <laughs> where, <laughs> and, uh, but also just before that, you were talking about him swinging off the building uh, attached to a fire hose and swinging down to the building and shooting in through a window, right? 
and which he almost falls, right? Well, that is actually a movie inconsistency for me because if you notice, when he first flings, flings down, he does not land at a, at a window. He lands at, a, at this a, barrier yeah. right there. And yeah, and then, so then later on, he's just like down like 12 feet. <laughs> just like instantly. It's like, hmm, maybe that, you know, that spool that it was attached to slipped a little bit. I mean, it did slip. It definitely slipped. So... But I think we can forgive it. Yeah, yeah. I like that that scene also built from earlier in the movie. He's hanging by his gun, like, you know, when he's going in, like, the in between the walls, and he has to, like, hit that air vent. Yes. So he's hanging off of his gun. And it was just, like, that scene writ larger. So it's like you start yeah. off doing the small scale, and now you're doing the same thing, but now you're outside a window. You have to shoot, blast through, and break through the glass. And it was, like, a, like an escalation of the same stunt almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. Man, that little air vent he had to grab onto and crawl into, yeah, that's, uh, that's a task right there. <laughs> What's the last thing on that? Uh, did Danny just vacate? Uh-oh, Danny. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe well, he's got a package delivered or something like that. Oh, yeah. To go back to what we were talking about, we, he can cut this out if he wants, but with the FBI, yeah. I, I thought that there was a very another 80s kind of element of, like, the individual can be more efficient than the bureaucracy because every time it went like yes. further up the chain, it got less efficient and like less successful. So like John McClane, yeah. and why do I keep forgetting his name? But the cop on the outside are like, you know, they're able to like really have this handled, but then more cops get involved and they're like struggling and then the FBI gets involved and like they're just like losing men. And I thought that also seemed of its time and like that totally. like – yeah. Okay. Very, yeah, very yeah. Lethal. It was just very what? Very lethal weapon esque. Yeah, it's just well, you know, you had the cops who really had a, a grip on it. John McClane and Sergeant Powell, and then their superior, who's just really—you could tell he—he's on Easy Street. He's really used to having everyone else do the work, but he's also looking for a promotion. He wants to go into the FBI. So as soon as they come out, he's got his tie fixed. He, he Sergeant Powell's asking him if he wants a breath mint. Like that guy is just kind of a brown noser trying to climb yeah. the corporate or federal ladder, as it were. <laughs> and again, Paul Gleason just playing that great type of character anyway. Oh, totally. Just that, totally. that I want to have the power, but I don't. Yes. Yeah. Um. Unless there's anything to go, I think we can talk about our thought, you know, like just uh, recommendations or not recommendations or. Well, I just think that uh, we're talking about the scene uh, where Hans Gruber and John McClane finally come to a head. He's got Holly for a hostage. I think this is a perfect, perfect moment to let you know that movie quotes and movie knowledge can save your life and your loved ones. Because <laughs> he's talking about how uh, Grace Kelly does not go into the sunset with uh, John Wayne. He's like, that's like Roy Rogers or somebody else, a hole. And uh, it is, they, they start laughing and everything. They cr- actually had a moment where it's like, you know, if, I, if you weren't in my way, uh, we might be friends. And then he's like, but you got to die. And John McClane gets him. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just, I, I love that. I think this was one of the earlier movies to have that kind of self-referential, you know, like it's almost like a meta, a meta thing where like he's, he's a real big fan of those old Westerns and now he's in this, you know, highly dynamic action situation. And he's like referencing like those movies 
in a way, you know, very like what Quentin Tarantino does or, you know, later action movies like Hot Fuzz or whatever to, to a, a larger extent or a more comedic effect. But I thought this one was one of the first that kind of takes the history of action cinema that came before and like uses that as like, we know that exists and these characters know that exists. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's... It's a. I wish. I wish that I would have seen it younger. But I'm. I'm at the part where I'm like, but I got to save it in a part where I'll understand it better. You know, yeah. it's like where I'll. I'll have more fun with it. You know, because I. I remember liking with a vengeance when I saw it. I think I saw it on like TNT or something like that. Okay. You know, no prior knowledge because of course these movies are very much plug and play. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have the uh, original to understand what's happening in this one. Other than maybe some references. Yeah, references to like his marriage, which uh, kind of, it gets shooed out anyway, so. That or, or, or even the fact that, you know, the bad guy in, in Vengeance is Gruber's brother, you know. You know who Hans Gruber is because you know pop culture. The voice of Scar is his brother. Is it Love Jeremy that. Irons? Yes, that's the villain uh, okay. in, in part two. Uh, he's so good. Simon is the villain's name. Well, he he calls himself Simon uh, yeah, whenever he's speaking. Three, right? Oh! Yeah, part three. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. What? What am I... <laughs> I have my diehards out of order. <laughs> oh, my God. Part two is pretty forgettable. I I really... Like, I don't know when the last time I saw it was, but I... Was that the airport time. one? I guess so. Yeah, that sounds like it might be right. Wait, is Die Hard Two Hans Gruber's brother, or is no Die Hard Three is Hans Gruber's brother? So Die Hard Two was a different director. I think maybe Rennie Harlan, just like a journeyman, kind of fills in here and there. And then Die Hard Three, McTiernan comes back and like makes you know. I think the only, the only really, the only sequel that I would recommend, I guess. Oh, is William Sadler the bad guy in Die Hard Two? Is it Death from Bill and Ted? That same, that seems like it might be. Yes, and that's the airport one. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they're in the airport. Oh my gosh! I just I thought that was three. Excuse me. No, sorry. three's the one with Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Okay. Sorry, but yeah, that's that's the one where Hans Gruber's brother comes for you and it goes to Simon and yeah. Uh, sorry about that. So, but oh, I totally I also forgot about Die Hard too. I it was. It is somewhat forgettable. It's also cool. It has some great scenes and stunts and explosions and whatnot. But yeah, once you get Samuel L. Jackson into the mix uh, with with a vengeance, uh, Jeremy Irons, it totally takes it to a whole other level. It makes you forget about the sequel, the second one. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be watching both or all of them. I'm going to go and do a whole rewatch of the movies. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I... Die Hard 2, I've always heard that it's just okay. But it's got William Sadler in it, and that kind of excites me because I like William Sadler. But, yeah, um, yeah, I'll give it another shot. It's been yeah, a long time. Give it a shot. Uh, I really like Die Hard as a, as a first-time watcher. Um, it definitely lives up to that hype that Die Hard has. Yeah. So that was really cool for me is to like actually have a movie that has so much hype around it be, uh, you know, be actually part of the hype. And I think that if, um, if you haven't seen Die Hard Passengers, uh, be like me and watch it now. And if you have seen it, go back and rewatch it. What do you think, Dustin? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a pretty big fan of Die Hard. I have lately been in a um, 
a pretty big, you know, classic action star zone where I've been rewatching a lot of Arnold, a lot of Stallone, a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme, some Dolph Lundgren. And so for me, like this, this movie is a, is a hard pill to swallow because it kind of was the first, like, you know, first shot across the bow or whatever of that, that old style of like, we, we're going to find the biggest Hulk in like most talented, like physical actor we can, and we'll make him act. And instead now you have this guy that has a lot more, you know, it's like, Oh, your acting abilities are what we're looking for here. And like, yeah, you can handle the stunts and you know, you got fit enough. And so for me, there is like this mixed feeling about it. Cause it, it kind of spelled the end, like, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold, Sloan all did fine in the 90s, but I don't think any of their peaks outside of Terminator 2, like, you know, like, I guess Jean-Claude Van Damme, you have sudden death, which is fine. But it's kind of like their days were numbered as soon as this movie came out. And that, that makes me feel really sad. But I mean, as it stands on its own, I just think between Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, you have like, you know, a top-notch cast. Like, I think it's probably my favorite movie that either of them ever did. And I think all of the movie looks great. All the set pieces work and like all the character arcs work besides, you know, the one I mentioned that I might not feel as aged as well as the rest. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Highly recommended. I think it goes, you can watch it well um, with the predator, his previous film, John McTiernan's, because that one I feel like is maybe one of the last of the old style, like the, like we're still processing the trauma of Vietnam action movies with Arnold as like, you know, the star and like it also has Jesse Ventura and Carl Weather Car- Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh and now now we've moved right on to like now I'm ushering in, you know, the next thing that's gonna, you know, last through most of the nineties. Yeah, totally. And I have to agree. This is a must see. Uh for similar reasons. I really feel like now more so than uh than not, I feel like now they are constantly casting the perfect buff person in any role. You could be playing a nerd, like a flat out nerd. And in real life, that guy is like a buff model and uh, probably like a fighter of some sort. You don't want to see, uh, uh, you don't want to see John Cena play the main character in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> I, uh, no, <laughs> just no, I don't. And uh, yeah, just like, oh, okay. And, but this movie is, is that, uh, example of how the uh, it made their days numbered because it is a, a staple. It's an example of a great movie that's an action movie, a guy movie, uh, and uh, and a Christmas movie. And and that uh, it, when you put these stories where a regular guy can make it through all these trials, it makes it more iconic than the aesthetically pleasing version where we were just talking about with the. You know, guy cut from stone, and I'll, he's all. He also happens to be like a scientist, and blah blah blah. And it's like, really, dude? Like he's, he's got all those credentials, and and he's gigantic and, and physically capable. He's got time to go study physics and get to the gym. Uh, come on! But uh, that's why I like this movie a lot. Again, the regular guy making a difference, and I think it's a must see. Awesome. Well, we'll tell you what's a must here our sponsors that's right okay passengers welcome back we're into the uh birthday news section of our uh podcast here and uh it's a really short birthday list today um which is not a bad thing especially when last time and the time before felt pretty long so let's uh kick it off december 20th we have jonah hill who uh everyone knows from super bad yes moneyball wolf of wall street 
Totally. Um, totally transforms himself. He uh, went from this, like, uh, you know, the, the fat guy that's funny to now he's kind of like he can play a lot of parts. Yeah. Um, part of me was a little bit miffed at, I think it was Brad Pitt who essentially said he wasn't a serious actor or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I was like, really dude? Like, again, another version of like a, a really perfectly guy cut from stone and everything like that. Been uh, ragging on uh, somebody else who may have not necessarily gotten as far as he did on his looks um, before we all discovered his talent. Uh, but I just felt, I really did kind of resented that moment, uh, with Brad Pitt, uh, because I felt like Jonah Hill has kind of always brought a skill and yeah, he was the fat guy, but I, that's not really what, how I really saw him at all. I, I, I feel like it takes talent to play any role in, in cinema and don't get me wrong. Brad Pitt has an amazing repertoire, but Jonah Hill had just started out with, you know, I just think that. I really hated that interaction when I heard I would, about it. I would think you meant resume and not repertoire, but uh, his resume is really either either way, either one. Uh, <laughs> I his, feel like there must be dossier. more to the story. Uh, I, yeah, I think the way Jonah Hill tells it though is very much like Brad Pitt was kind of being a dick. Yeah, but isn't Jonah Hill like rumored to be or have been like kind of hard to work with guy? I, I think, think I feel like I've heard that. that. So I don't know if they were in the same thing and he just wasn't feeling him. Cause I mean, it also just seems like, like I haven't known Brad Pitt to be a big mouthed guy, like, you know, fucking yeah. trash on other actors. Traditionally. Didn't Jonah Hill win an Emmy or I mean, an Oscar for Moneyball or was that Wolf of Wall Street? I think maybe Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know. I know he won an Oscar. I mean, come on. Jonah Hill won an Oscar. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I do have to mention uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. That yes, it just went from six to midnight inside of you. And <laughs> he's singing on the yeah <laughs> to the side of the stage is hilarious. Oh, so good. Um, after that, we have Todd Phillips, who uh, everyone knows as the as the I'm here for the orgy guy. Yeah. Uh, but Hangover, you know, he's the Hangover trilogy guy. Uh, did one really, really funny movie, and then uh, rode on the coattails of that for years to come. That was old school, right? He did old school, and then he did uh, Hangover. Mm-hmm. And then um, more recently, The Joker. Mm-hmm. Which I I like The Joker. So. It's pretty cool that he did all that. Pretty cool that he's uh, still doing stuff like that. I don't think all his other movies are like amazing, but he, he did a pretty good job. The Joker was amazing. I, I was very surprised when I heard uh, that some people didn't like it, uh, but it was because it was long, maybe. And I, I think that it was probably the way he handled mental illness. Um, I, I love. I, I love pretty it. mixed on it. I don't know. I it didn't leave much of an impression overall. I guess. <laughs> Tell you what, it looks really good on 4K though. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's I feel yeah, I have a there's a lot of things I could say I liked and a lot of things I really disliked, and overall I was just like, okay, that was fine. I, I have a hard time swallowing it as it's not my Joker yeah. uh, origin story. I don't want a Joker origin story, to be perfectly honest. 
Yeah, I just, I felt like people didn't like when they, you're talking about how they handled the mental illness and whatnot. And yeah, I think, I think there's a disenfranchisement there going on that most people kind of like with the Colin Kaepernick thing, they don't want to have that thrown in their face when they're being entertained. So people go to watch a football game and they see this guy peaceful protest. It's an outrage. Stop reminding me of the the crazy systematic things that we do um, knowingly or unknowingly because I don't want to have to correct my behaviors and I don't want to get that message while I'm trying to see a movie or watch a football game. You're here to entertain me. Exactly. Yeah. Stop with your messages. That definitely was a factor. But then I think on the other end, there's people that do really care about these issues and they're like, well, you're, you're just kind of alluding to them without like, you're not really saying anything of substance about that's more like, that's like, Oh yeah, he has mental illness and Oh yeah, there's a, there's income inequality and oh yeah, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and you're just stacking up all these, like these, yeah, these are true to life issues that affect people every day. And so like, there's people that, yeah, don't want to deal with that. And then there's other people that are like, well, if you're going to, you know, use these as part of your film, what are you going to say about them? And like, I didn't feel like the message about it was very coherent, at least on my first watch. Maybe there's more to it. I'm going to agree with you. That's, that's what I meant when I said it doesn't treat mental illness, right? I don't feel like he uh, fully fleshed out what that meant. I felt like he threw it in there and made it seem smart, but it didn't ever say anything. Uh, yeah, I think making a movie about how like Batman City fell apart because all the rich people didn't care about all the poor people, you know, like there's a lot of interesting stuff there that you can mine. And maybe if they make a sequel, it'll get more into it. But then they didn't really make it about that totally, even though the end, like the, the, where the city's rising up at the end, I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. I think really, it was amazing. Totally hope they don't make a sequel, though. I'd like to keep it where it is. Do not need a sequel to that. Um, December 21st, we have Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, Nick Fury. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, Um, every role this guy has been in. uh, I mean, uh, even his, uh, I think he plays Jules uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Yep. That was his name. Yeah, and oh, man, just from then on, I believe that was probably his first role that I had ever seen was Pulp Fiction, if, if not Die Hard with a Vengeance. Those were, uh, and oh man, he's just really, really brought skill forever. Uh, even in Snakes on a Plane, he carried that movie. Oh yeah, he carries that movie. Terrible movie, movie. <laughs> but, but I love it, yeah. And he's also one of the better characters in Star Wars prequels as Mace Windu. He, exactly. Again, Jurassic he, Park, save that. Yeah. Yes, the guy who's like in the control center. He can come back. They only showed his arms cut off. I say next movie, bionic arm Samuel Jackson. (laughs) I love that. I came back as a bionic man. (laughs) That's right. Uh, You know, I I don't need two wands, mother. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He's actually. I paid a dollar for him to be uh, to be a voice on my Amazon Alexa. My That's echo, awesome. so I could say, I could say, hey Alexa, let me talk to Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> it's great. Um, Kiefer Sutherland up next. Yes. From a very young age, I loved Kiefer Sutherland. The Lost Boys, man, that uh, is still one of my favorites. Oh yeah, and then uh, he was also, I believe, in Flatliners. Yes, oh, man. He was actually in the remake as well. Yes, or the reboot. Oh, just such such a great actor. 
Very versatile. Uh, just did that designated survivor show. Oh. And then um, he was on 24 for how many years? I, I did not forever. watch it. Yeah, it was forever. Yeah. Dude's a great actor. Uh, Ray Romano. I had to put Ray Romano on here because everybody loves Raymond. Right. Nice plug there, too. No one, no one's going to start talking in the Ray Romano voice. Um, maybe. I just, uh, I, I have a joke for you guys today. I don't know if you're going to like it, but um, let's move on. That's like, uh, Kermit D. Frog here. Oh, that, that's actually way more of what it sounded like. Yeah, that was definitely Muppet, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely Muppet. Um, uh, let's uh, move on to our next actor. Andy Dick. <laughs> Andy Dick kind of sucks as a person. Yeah. But I he... have to admit that I really liked him in the 90s. Yes. I Wasn't he in uh, Road Trip as the hotel clerk? Uh, he's the guy. He's uh, I want towels. And he's like, oh, that, that's what you want? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I just oh no, he thinks they want drugs, and he's yeah. like, "Let's start with the towel." What did you say, Dustin? I have a secondhand Andy Dick anecdote. All right, from one of my friends from like ten years ago. Uh, we used to have this annual comedy fest here, and he was in town for that. And we would always end up at this dive bar right next door. And one night, my friends were there, you know, playing pool, having some beers, and Andy Dick ended up showing up after the the comedy show and he was like out of his head just like a mess and he had this bag of wigs which i guess was part of his his set and like he ended up getting 86 like they were just like you can't be here like you are like you're being inappropriate you're, you're clearly intoxicated get out of here and so like he gets shuffled out but he left behind his bag of wigs so my friends took home andy dick's bag of wigs <laughs> at least it wasn't awesome at least it wasn't andy wigs bag of dicks <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, passengers. <laughs> that might have been better. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I always remember uh, Andy Dick had that show, like, uh, who could be Andy Dick's um, secretary or intern or whatever. And so on MTV, he had all these people trying to be his intern, and they were like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to be Andy Dick's intern anymore. <laughs> I've heard he's really hard to work with as well. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't seem... Like a super fun person to hang out with. His his daughter and him made a movie recently uh, all about disc golf, and I really want to watch it because I love disc golf. Uh, Julie Delpy up next. Um, Julie Delpy, I don't see her in a lot of things, but uh, my first my first real uh, Julie Delpy film was probably Before Sunrise. Oh. Okay, I, th- I thought it was going to be uh, an American Werewolf in Paris. That's pretty much all I've seen her in, except maybe one or two other films. Wait, she's in. I just watched that for Halloween recently. Yes! I didn't even catch it. <laughs> is, she, is she in that? Mm-hmm. She's the the female werewolf, Seraphine, uh, that's kind of helping Andy the whole time. Uh, he's like trying. He saves her from jumping off the Eiffel Tower, and she so happens to be. Uh, girlfriend of or ex girlfriend of Claude, the main werewolf that's trying to get everyone. Yeah, man, I I haven't seen that movie in so long, but I, oh, yeah, I, I love that. I watch it all the time. I was like, oh, she was in the music video for Mouth, Wait, and then I who was she in Avengers? Uh, Sorry, what the Avengers movie? Yeah, Avengers Ultron or Adam Ultron. B. M- Madame B. Yeah, I don't even know. 
Yeah. Dude, that's my least favorite. Uh, oh, uh, so when I believe it's when uh, uh, Black Widow is like they show some of her training sequences or whatever when she was actually still in Russia. I believe uh, that oh, she you're was probably one of those right. random roles. Yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, my my first movie of hers was Before Sunrise in 95, and I probably watched it later, uh, not in 95. A lot of those, I love those movies. At least I saw the first two. I haven't seen the third one yet, and I will get to that someday. It's it's one of those movies, though, that you have to sit and watch, and it's slow, and it's not fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, December 22nd, we have Ralph Fiennes who, of course, uh, is Voldemort in Harry we, Potter. We do not speak yet. <laughs> and, and Ralph Fiennes is actually just a very good actor in, uh, in general. Yes. I think, I think most people think of him as, as Voldemort, but I, I really liked him in the Grand Budapest Hotel. And Red Dragon, that, uh, the Hannibal movie. Was he in Red Dragon? It wasn't his brother? Oh, that's got to be my confusion. Okay. Uh, perhaps. Let, yeah. let me see. Yeah, yeah. It's his brother. Um, uh, uh, it, my brain cannot think of his name. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, that I is didn't so know there funny. Was two of them. I did not know that either. That's I've always rolled them in together. No. He's in. He's in Red Dragon. I just watched The English Patient for the first time, and he was in that. And... You're right. It is, it is him. He is in Red Dragon. I just didn't see it. His brother's an actor, though. Uh, I can't think of his name. Joseph Fiennes, I believe. And, it's, and I said Ralph Fiennes. It's Rafe, I guess. That sounds made up. Yeah. No, no that's, it's Ralph. It's, I'm it's looking Ralph at that Fiennes? It's not... Ralph Fiennes, yeah. How do you say Ralph Our... Fiennes' <laughs> name? Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> it's R A L P H. Oh, here, here, here. Rafe. Oh, he's in Strange Fiennes. Days too. Listen. Fines. Rafe Fines. It's Rafe. Wow. I knew it was Rafe. I'd heard it before. I'd heard him talking about it, and I was like, "It's it's not Ralph. It's Rafe." And his brother's Joseph Fines. And his brother was popular in uh, Shakespeare in Love. He was Shakespeare. He does a lot of the old, older, um, the what do you call those period piece films? Ah, not as not as popular as Rafe is, but I do like Rafe Fines a lot. Isn't Rafe going to be? Yeah, he's going to be in the King's Man. Hmm. And of course, he's M in the new Double uh, O Seven. Very cool. I mean, this guy just brings so much talent. Yeah. He's Alfred Pennyworth's voice in the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> I do love the Lego Batman movie. As do I. Um, let's move on. David S. Goyer is next. Um, David S. Goyer, I put him in here because he is like, he's written so many of the geekdom films. Yes. Uh, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, Batman versus Superman. Um he just he he wrote the first screenplay for the Masters of the Universe reboot film or remake film or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the TV series. He created the Constantine TV series. He wrote oh, just gosh, so many Blade. He did all Blade. Three Blade yeah, exactly. Films. Oh man, um, what was I just looking at? I mean, he Batman Begins. He's involved in that as well. 
That's incredible. You remember the old movie, The Substitute, where it was a high school substitute teacher and he was... Yes, of course. Yeah, he was... The Belushi guy is in there, right? He wrote that. Yeah. Oh, man. And then... Uh, Marky Jumper. Mark, I love it. They said, it says, and Marky Mark as blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Dark City, too. Dark City, yes. that's right. Yeah, David Esquire writes some good stuff and then he writes some turds. <laughs> Sorry, David Esquire, you do. Um. Uh, yeah, I would have to say uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I was, I couldn't get. I, I've I've watched it multiple times, but it's so hard for me to get through that movie. <laughs> Is it the it's first so, one or the second one? The second one. The first one I really yeah. enjoy a lot. Not that it's an amazing movie, but I really like the first hey, one. Hey, hey, I had such high hopes for the second one. Yeah, me too. You're not allowed to fault any movie that some Sam Elliott is in. <laughs> because <laughs> he is great in Ghost Rider, the first one. Well, the directors did the Crank movies for Ghost Rider 2, and that guy was like, oh, this is like yes! the dream. Yeah, I was so yeah. excited because it was by the guys who did Crank, and it just was craptastic. Yes. Um, December 24th, there are no birthdays that I saw of celebrities or anyone big enough to mention or nerdy enough to mention. December 25th, I'm bringing in Stephanie Meyer because we talk a lot about the Twilight films on this podcast. We sure do. Without watching any of them uh, for the podcast, we talk a lot about it. your brother would be remiss if we didn't mention it. Sure. Yeah, Brian never (laughs) listens to this podcast. Um, Stephanie Meyer wrote all of the, the... Twilight books and um, oh, she did that. The host, not the Korean good one, but the crappy American one. <laughs> um, Ryan Seacrest, uh, I put yeah, him I in there because pop culture. He's just yeah, exactly. Have you, if you're live today, you don't know Ryan Seacrest. It's kind of you're living under a rock, I guess. And I guess not only for uh, his his hosting duties on. Um, American Idol, but mostly just because he was like, you know, before that, he was kind of like the pop culture guy. Like, you would watch him on uh, pop culture news, you know? And so, anyway. Yeah. December 26th, I, I'd be remiss to not put in Jimmy Buffett. Oh, right. <laughs> I I love him in Club Dread, you know? Coconut Pete. <laughs> My, you know what? I'm going to also <laughs> say... My favorite role of, uh, of, of Jimmy Buffett's is um, his role in Jurassic World when the pterodactyls attack the place in Margaritaville. He's the dude who picks up both margaritas and starts running. That's hilarious. <laughs> I did not know that that's awesome. <laughs> He's my sister-in-law's favorite musician as well. Seriously? That's-, that's, a, that's a thing? Like, people's favorite musician is Jimmy Buffett? That... Well, Hang the, though, when you the like rumor that got started. <laughs> what? I thought he was going to say like that he's related to Jimmy Buffett no, or something no. like that. <laughs> it was a cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> Do you know any Jimmy Buffett songs, Mark? Uh, just the one, just like probably two. Margaritaville. Like, yeah, Margaritaville, and the, one other one that I can't remember the name of. Cheeseburger yeah. in paradise was one of my favorites. Yeah. The dude just writes dad rock or dad soft rock. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rock? Like, he's on a ton of soundtracks, though. What'd you call it? Well, I don't think he technically qualifies for yacht rock, but oh, maybe post-yacht rock. I could I maybe know. go for yacht rock on that or, or post-yacht rock. 
I'm going to go and listen to some Jimmy Buffett now. I'm going to jam some cheeseburger in paradise. And <laughs> I think when I was a kid, like anything that talked about food was funny to me in songs. Oh, absolutely. Because like in my head, I remember thinking cheeseburger in paradise and raspberry beret were on the same level. But then as I'm older and I love freaking Prince, <laughs> I could never put raspberry beret on the same level as cheeseburger in paradise. But when I was a kid, <laughs> heck yeah. Now I'm like, it's freaking Prince. You don't touch that. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday to our celebrities. That's right. Without you, we would not be able to make this podcast. Thank you for all you do. Uh, let's hop into some news now. Um, in a bit of like kind of fun, I guess, uh, Sir, Sir Ian McKellen took the COVID vaccine, uh, being like one of those first few people who, who get to take it. Um, also, trying, he's trying to make sure that the stigma of this vaccine is, hey, you should take this, not be afraid of this. And it's Sir Ian McKellen. I mean, come on, it's Magneto and, exactly. and Gandalf. Yes. And, and I'm, Gandalf, I'm right? super grateful for anyone who's been in yeah, Gandalf. <laughs> we, I'm really grateful for any actor, anybody who's in the, in the limelight that is uh, – obviously, I'm grateful for anybody who is a proponent of vaccination and social distancing and masking. But somebody who's in pop culture, anyone who has been um, following the science – and even if you didn't agree with the science, like let's just say you're one of you're just compliant for courtesy's sake. I'm very grateful for anybody who's that uh, who's doing that. So yay to Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, you got anything to say on that, Dustin? I mean, I, I am happy he was unlikely to die from COVID from now forward. So that's really <laughs> exciting. Hopefully yeah. he doesn't die anytime soon. I would not like to read his obituary on Pop Culture Elevator. No. If anybody wants me to take the vaccine to prove that it's safe, uh, just let me know. I, I, okay. <laughs> just film it and we'll put it as our preview, like for the week. Whenever I you did, get in, let us know. I did just get an email yesterday that asked me as a teacher if um, – if I would be okay with a mandatory vaccine uh, because we are teachers. And I was like, yeah, I want to take the vaccine. Just come on. Yeah. Pe people are like, Oh, oh my God, are you going to have to get it in order to go to school or whatever? And it's like, yeah, just like your TB and MMR vaccines and all that stuff. Yeah, it's like, how we do things. yeah, it's all of a sudden, this is a, an invasion. Uh, <laughs> it's like, come on. Um, anyway, if I, if I keep going on that, I'm going to say some bad things that I don't want to say. <laughs> well, good, good control there, buddy. All right. Uh, going into more, uh, I'm going to say that was Marvel news because it was about Magneto. Um, going into more Marvel news, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, he's just, he's out there being like Iron Man story is done. Stop thinking I'm going to come back to the MCU. Nope. Yes. Yes. It. Mark, he's done. Yeah. Let it be done. Okay. Iron time Man story was tell. told. Time will tell. <laughs> I just for me it's the, it, don't drag it on man Robert Downey Jr. did so good as Iron Man and yes. they gave him such a good out I don't want any more uh, so again I just I can't get enough of it man uh, I gotta mainline some RDJ dude I, I give me the manja give it all I don't care if it was good or bad it, or will be good or bad in the future because everything he's done so far is golden so the he best, can give me a bad performance listen, <laughs> the best thing to come out of 2020 is that we didn't have any Marvel films and I could finally take a breath and feel like I'm not bombarded by Marvel which, I'll, I'll maybe give you that a little bit and, and Robert Downey Jr. was amazing amazing as Iron Man yeah. but 
uh, I liked his ending, and I feel like it would ruin his ending to have him come back in any capacity. Even as an, a holographic AI? <laughs> I don't. Because that's what I want. Needed because then all you're doing is saying Spider-Man, Tom Holland uh, needs Iron Man or needs Stark to be what he is. And I feel like uh, uh, Spider-Man should work on his own level without having to have that. I don't know, Dustin, what so do you think? I agree with you there with, sorry, Dustin, but I agree with you that uh, Spider-Man and them should be left to their own devices. I totally agree. But his daughter and Pepper Potts, you mean to tell me that they're not going to do something in the future and they're not going to access some video message <laughs> Dude, recording? I think that we're not going to see the daughter. Maybe, maybe if they use her for the television series, but uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is pretty much done with the MCU. Right. So we're not going to see Pepper Potts in anything, in any capacity, uh, I don't think. Well, I'm sad. Dustin, what are your thoughts? Sorry to interrupt. No, I think he could be the Jarvis of whoever they make the next Iron Man or whatever, and that would Ooh. be like workable if he was interested i'm sure they would pay him tons of money for his voice and it would be a yeah. great deal for everybody i would be i, I think yes I, I think i agree with that i'd be okay with just a voice uh him being the the friday or the uh yeah. jarvis but like to roadie's warhammer sure sure War sure machine? that's all i'm saying war machine thank you war machine Thank you, Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Hammer is the other weapons developer in the Marvel universe, right? So, um, but yeah, no, that's all I'm saying. I don't think he should come back like in corporal form, if that's what you think that I mean, like where he's a, basically he's back from the dead. That's not what I want. It's simply messages from beyond the grave because he's recorded everything and he's made an AI that can sure. continue to live on in his place. Sure. Sure. I, I could be, I could be done for that. Um, Snyder Cut, some more comic book news. Snyder Cut is uh, coming in March, so we got about three months uh, till we get to see this four-hour supposed epic of Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League Cut. Oh, the countdown! Mm. It's it's uh, I think a very it just changes everything for nerddom in its its own regard. Mm. Like we begged and begged, and they kept telling us it wasn't a thing, and then to have them finally say it is a thing, and we're gonna do something with it, feels very uh, I don't know the word, but it just feels very good. So they so listen to what you just said there, though, buddy. You're saying, oh, they said it wasn't a thing, wasn't a thing, wasn't a oh, thing. Oh, whatever. Don't bring this back. <laughs> This is different. That's not Marvel saying he's never coming back. That's the guy who plays him saying it's never going to come back. You dick. You cacaeus. Uh, Dustin, what are your thoughts on the Justice League uh, Snyder? You know, I don't, I don't have strong opinions about the Snyderverse or the DCEU. I've seen, you know, most of them at some point, but it makes me really happy for the people that seem to love it so much that they are getting this dream wish. And I, th I feel like, you know, having an, having someone like Snyder in control of, you know, this corner of the DCU is creating a very specific brand of, you know, he's getting to do what he wants to do with it. And I think I always like that, even if their movies don't end up being for me, I like that he's getting to make it his. And, you know, like, whereas the Marvel movies, it's like they're all basically getting to make a Marvel thing. And he's getting to make Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League, which is, you know, really exciting for people that want a four-hour Justice League movie. Well, especially since it feels like uh, HBO Max is going to be this unofficial or official, I guess, official home of um, this other DCEU, this, uh, this, this verse that is Snyder's creation. Whereas, like, Patty Jenkins just came out and said, 
that uh, Wonder Woman uh, isn't the same Wonder Woman in Joss's version of um, of the of the Justice League, whereas she felt like Snyder's version was more along the same terms as her version of Wonder Woman. Ooh. So it'll be interesting to see what they kind of do with that, especially with, when they're having everyone do reshoots except for Henry uh, Cavill. So I'm I'm interested. I guess they have a lot of Henry Cavill footage because he had the black suit and all that stuff, and that was all taken away. Uh, Is that the one that he had the mustache on it, all of it for? Because it seems like he would be that's, like it. That's Joss yeah. Whedon's cut. Joss yeah. Whedon is the one who went and reshot with the mustache. Oh. Okay, uh, so those scenes are getting removed. Those scenes are not going to be in it. None of Josh's fo- Joss's footage is going to be in Snyder's cut. Oh, that when he uh, – do you, was it – do you bleed or something that he asks uh, Batman and he's just that lip. I'm just like, God, man, he, <laughs> he, the, how, that, he has an excellent mustache. He can't grow that back in like a month. Like, come on. Like, no, shave it. Was, Let Superman <laughs> have a mustache. That yeah, was sure. Yeah. Superman comes back with a mustache. He had to grow something while he was underground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, even if you're dead, your nails and your hair, they grow for a little bit. All right. <laughs> We're going to move on. <laughs> Speaking of the Snyder Cut, Snyder Cut is now making Paul W.S. Anderson thinking he wants to finish his director's cut of Event Horizon. And I, so I cannot be more excited about this. This is one, my, probably my, this is my favorite horror movie probably of all time. We know, we know, we talked about it on that episode. I'm so excited for this. And in the vein of uh, being motivated by Snyder, I think it's ushering in an era of uh, kind of directors everyone's going to want their director. Each studio is going to want that director that, man, if you just let him run with it, everyone's going to want what they're going to produce. So I think we're maybe Snyder has ushered in something new where just lead the director to his own devices. I think, I think we may get a little more of that. And I really love that of everyone getting to make their product theirs. Yeah. That's a pretty cool thing, especially knowing that, um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means we're going to get a director's cut in the vein of they have this really nice 4K transfer and then it's VHS and the parts that are the extra because all they have is a VHS. Or does it mean uh, Anderson goes out and and uh, somehow re-films these parts and uses de-aging or whatever on his characters and just... Mm. I don't know what that means. I, I want to. I want to understand what it means for uh, Anderson to do that. I don't. I don't hold Anderson in a high regard. I think Event Horizon is where he uh, peaked, and uh, and I love Mortal Kombat, and um, I do love the Resident Evil movies for what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, his new one, all the reviews are real stinkalicious. Uh, Monster <laughs> Hunter. I'll watch it, but um, I hear that it is. It is. Uh, Anderson doing the the worst Anderson impression. So I, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna watch it because I like Mila Jovovich and sure. I like I like Tony Jaw. Uh, Tony Ba? Tony Jaw? I don't remember. How, okay, I don't know if I say it right, but <laughs> um, but I, I don't have high hopes for it. Anyway. I, I do because I, I what I would like to see is uh, perhaps they said it's not a thing for a long time or that things have been lost or deleted, but maybe they, maybe there's still some around. They just don't tell anybody about it because they're not sure how it would be received because of how this movie was received originally. And then um, 
or maybe they, yeah, maybe they do what you're talking about where they're, they're able to finish it off by reshooting and de-aging. I would be excited about either one and maybe his other movies have not been, uh, you know, amazing. And this might be his peak. And I, I might have to agree with you there looking at his uh, resume here, but this is his masterpiece. And if he does it again, I don't think he's going to let anybody down. Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm glad he doesn't want to do a sequel. So that, that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I read that after, even though it was pretty tepidly received that it's home video sales had like really given it a second life. And it was like, he really wanted that to happen then. And that they had that footage if it still exists that he wanted to reincorporate in it. Cause uh, you know, they didn't have enough budget to finish it, the, all of it, or they left some things out and that I think, I don't think it would entail bringing the cast back necessarily of like the Justice League level of a director's cut. But I think it's like, we use the extra footage we have or like maybe, you know, update some of those effects that haven't, like 90 CG is pretty hit or miss. Although I think that movie suffers a lot less than other movies I've watched. Mm -hmm. So I I do think it's one of, it's, you know, one of my favorite 90s movies, especially if you were going down to the nitty gritty of horror sci-fi. I think it's one of my favorites in that genre as well. And I mean, he's a man that knows what he likes to make and he's good at, putting that out and is he married to Mia Jovovich is that the situation he is so like living the dream of making movies that have an audience that are up your alley with your partner seems like like I don't know I I love that he gets that life or they get that life together that seems like what what else could you ask for I'll agree with you I completely agree that's pretty wholesome I like that I like yeah Yeah, there's, there's there's deleted scenes that I'd love to just see and put uh, inserted in there like when um Sam Neill, he crawls down that ladder in the deleted scenes. Uh, he's all soaked in blood or whatever, but he creepily crawls down. Uh, and I would love to see something like that uh, just kind of mastered and put into the production. That would be so cool. Or even if they mastered what they had and put that in the deleted scenes, I just, I want more. I need more of that movie. I'd like to see a, a pure uh, cleanup of the film. I want to mm. see it cleaned up in a 4K restoration uh, done by Arrow, and then Arrow brings out this pretty killer set, and uh, that would be awesome. That would Arrow, get on that, okay? If you're listening, <laughs> also sponsor us. I'd like to get some free Blu-rays. <laughs> um, i'm gonna move on spider-man 3 so god this cast is packed it's yes. packed it's so i'm scared i'm Dark scared it's so packed. i'm i'm worried for it it's so damn packed willem dafoe is now in talks to come back as uh, yes. green goblin for spider-man 3 all playing into of course this whole the multiverse opens up uh during I would, I'm going to guess WandaVision and, uh, and then Dr. Strange trying to fix it all up in his movie. And then everything coming to a, uh, into the Spider-Verse, um, celebration of sorts in Spider-Man uh-huh. three, but oh my gosh, it, it's so freaking packed already to have, uh, uh oh, it's just, it's packed. It's packed. Everyone's going to be back. Yeah. I mean, Doc Ock's coming back. Uh, Tobey Maguire, everyone. Now Willem Dafoe. And that just goes to show you these, the first trilogy, uh, at least the first two movies of that trilogy, were amazing and so good to see and them I, come back. I feel, like we're, I feel like they're not telling us, but I feel like what's going to happen is this is going to make it so that um, the Spider-Villain movies that they're trying to make 
mm-hmm. are going to finally come to a head and bring in Spider-Man. I think that's how Venom is going to factor into all of this with Tom Hardy. Mm. That's just my thought process. But it, my God, this movie's so packed already that I... Uh, Dude, I always thought three villains is too much. Like, they, they kind of killed us with the Venom, um, Hobgoblin, uh, Sandman in Spider-Man 3. Uh, that was way too many villains. I, 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 the only reason I, – so I agree that for that movie it was too much, but that was only because Sam uh, Raimi did not want to be touching Venom at all. So I really yeah. think that he kind of threw a tantrum and just blew that movie. And um, now we have um, uh, an opportunity to see it done right. And I, I think it's what everyone's been clamoring for. It's like, why did you do that to Venom? And why was that story so lame if it's the end of the trilogy – uh, and now we're kind of getting an opportunity to, to do it over again. I will. I will say this. Uh, I remember when the trailers first came out for Spider-Man Three, and I would uh, rewind and rewatch the scene of the symbiote falling on um, Topher Grace. Yeah. And then it like jumps at the screen with the teeth and the tongue. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. And how awesome I thought that was going to be, and then how disappointed I was walking out of that theater. Exactly. I remember we, we both did that. We would just be like, look at that. It's so cool. And then they just, Sam Raimi just, he dug his heels in and he just was like, no, you're not going to get it. <laughs> so sorry. Thankfully, thankfully Raimi's not touching uh, Venom. Let there be carnage. Or yeah. uh, I mean, he made Spider-Man 2 as well, which is still yes. like one of the high watermark. Like, yeah. Let's not like, act no, like agree. he did nothing for us. Yeah. All right. no, no, he's I'm great. sidetracking for a minute. Dustin, name off uh, in order your Spider-Man actors. Oh. My actors? Yeah, yeah, so go from, from your least favorite to your favorite. All right, we're just doing the three? Uh, I don't know, yeah. throw in whatever you want to throw in. I mean, we're not like going into like some people, you know, go Kevin Conroy for Batman, but I don't know the actor's name from the cartoon. No, no, I mean, we'll just go the movies on this one. Okay, so I, with the caveat that I don't love either of the two movies that exist so far, I do think Tom Holland, performance-wise, is my favorite of both Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And then, you know, I don't really remember the, what's the middle dude's name. Andrew I feel so, Garfield. Yeah. I feel really bad for him because I just feel like that, that everything just fell out from under them on those. I think he was fine, but I don't remember him. So I'm going to put him last. So that puts Toby Maguire second. <laughs> All right. I'm, yes. I'm good with that list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm good with that list. Uh, uh, I, I, for me, I, I swap uh, t- Tom and, uh, and Toby because I, for me, it's always like the first person that kind of has yeah. seniority. And so that's, you know, they did it with just the comic books and the animated series as a reference, right? And now that everything is kind of blown up into this amazing MCU, now he, we have a ton of material to reference for Tom. Uh, I don't know why I can't remember his last name right Tom now. Holland. Tom Holland. Thank you, Holland. And uh, so I feel like he's been able to take it to the next level and give that better performance because of what predates him. But I will yeah. agree with you. He's doing an amazing job. Uh, and and it's, it, it makes me want to bite the inside of my cheek before I say it. But, I mean, they might be tied in my head, to be perfectly honest. I just, I, I just it's so hard for me to get past the, the Tobey Maguire dancing in the freaking middle of the street with emo hair. 
Again, and, that's Spider-Man 3, right? Three, I think that's just, in hindsight, now it's just kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, like yeah. he was being weird. Like this was his last time getting to do a movie at this scale set for Sam Raimi. And like, yeah, he got super Sam Raimi with it. I'm, yeah, I'm, so. I'm very interested in um, how Sam Raimi is going to handle Doctor Strange in the multiverse uh, of madness. Oh, totally. I'm getting very interested to see I'm some so footage. Excited. Yes. And also, just while we're on the subject of uh, Spider-Man 3 and Tobey Maguire getting all weird, you try taking some venom and see how you handle dancing in relationships. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> just kidding. Speaking of weirdness, Tom Cruise uh, went off on his crew during Mission Impossible 7 uh, – filming recently and he's got this whole diatribe where he's just really in my point of view when i get in an argument with someone and then you keep arguing the same thing over and over and over again and it's just secular and i'm already understanding the point i want you to shut up and that's how i felt about tom cruise because he just wouldn't shut up i was like dude i think these guys understand that standing next to each other without masks or whatever they were doing uh is going to get them fired well, uh, you know, I think you're coming from a perspective of somebody who already is like, I'm wearing a mask and I'll social distance and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to work with all of these things, right? You're somebody who's already convinced, right? So when you hear that argument over and over and over again, you're like, dude, I, I get it. Yeah, you get it. But these people who are uh, in midst of an infraction of sorts, uh, they're, they're the people that perhaps have not been listening well enough sure and, and they I need to hear it multiple times and i think not only is these crew members a lot of apparently like 50 not yeah like 50 percent 40 some odd percent of americans are not uh listening to the sure. messages so again i'm very grateful to somebody in pop culture and not only that a job creator uh up in in america I'm really glad that he snapped on them. Don't get me wrong. Maybe it didn't require the amount of rage that he had. Maybe like dial it down like one dash. But to be perfectly honest, it's just such a frustrating time that we're in that nobody wants to listen to the science because I don't want to wear a mask or I want to be able to go to a bar or I want to be able to stand within six feet of uh, one of my colleagues. And so that's what happened there. He was, they were both standing at a screen. I don't know if they were maskless or not, but they were not observing social distancing, that's for sure. sure. And uh, he was going into it about how thousands of people could lose their jobs because of one incident right. and that's two people the, standing closer. That's where I agree, especially since he's got so much money into these movies. Yes, and yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who respects anybody who's ever started a small business, let alone a gigantic business or a production and I'm like, that guy's got money in it. And on top of that, he really is thinking about other people sure. where this, the, anyone right now, not just these two crew members or whoever, whomever they may be, they're, um, they're, they're just not listening. They, they need to be shaken and just, hey, come on. It's, it's really at this level, just a courtesy deal. Like at the, even if you don't want to pay attention to the science, be courteous. Well, and at this point, I just want him to keep making Mission Impossible movies, so. Totally. Let's listen, because totally. I, I love those movies. Yeah. I know Dustin does. Yeah, I, I feel like his message was well taken. I, I do feel like it's questionable whether that kind of speech is 
okay in any workplace, but I understand right. when the stakes are so high and when like the pressure on him individually was so high that I, you know, he might come back to it in a day and be like, I'm sorry that I spoke that way. And like, like I don't take back the, the meaning of my message, but the delivery was out of line or mm-hmm. disrespectful or whatever. I'm but sure yeah, he I, has. He's one of those people mm-hmm. for me that is as an actor, if I isolate him to that, he's like one of the all time greats, like a movie star level person that's still doing it but on a personal way yeah i don't know how to feel about him i don't know how i feel about a lot of his antics and a lot of (laughs) yeah i agree um and then something that i don't have written down guys this is uh we're gonna end with some sad news because i just found this um actor jeremy bullock who played bobo fett in the original star wars trilogy has died at the age of 75 uh, due to complications with um, Parkinson's disease. Oh, no. Oh, that's really Man. sad. Uh, dude, if you don't mind, I'd like to interject one last thing. And it's just because you know how I feel like our little people don't get enough representation. But I am excited to announce the sequel of Willow 2. <laughs> with, uh, please tell me you've seen Willow. Davis? Yes, thank you, Warwick Davis. You're you're looking like you're not excited at all, Dave. Oh no, I love Will. I I tried to get Richard to watch it, and he he wasn't really having it. But oh, I'll try again. I saw oh, Willow. Dude, yes, I saw Willow when I was really really young, and I haven't come in. I haven't come back to it uh, in many many years. Um, I it's do on know. Plus. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus, so I will watch it, and I'll probably end up watching the. Uh, the television series as well. It's not a sequel. It's a, isn't it a television series? Or is, is it, it going to be a series? Is, I thought it was, I guess originally maybe it was supposed to be a series, but maybe it's now it's supposed to be a, um, a movie. I guess. Is Val is Kilmer wrong? coming back? Oh my God, Mad Mortigan. That'd be so cool. So Val Kilmer was originally supposed <laughs> to come out, come back when they, uh, when they first were writing it. But I think that Val Kilmer just is not in any, uh, shape to actually. Yeah. Um, to act, to actually act. I mean, the last thing we saw him in was a uh, Jan Ball reboot and he didn't say a word. Yeah. Maybe they could bring him back like a cameo, like, you know, where he's an elder that doesn't say much or something, but, um, yeah, I agree. I don't think he, he's going to be in a place to do it. Uh, it just it really sucks to say that because I, I love Mad Morgan and Val Kilmer's earlier roles. Yeah. Okay. Willow is going to be a TV series uh, and it's going to be directed by Ron Howard. Very cool. Yeah. So that is, that is pretty neat. That's a, a really neat thing for them to do. I'm going to jump back in though. Uh, really sad news about, about Jeremy Bullock. Uh, yes. Passing away. Uh, especially, you know, since uh, we now have the amazing uh, Mando, Mandalorian, Dustin, you caught up? Yeah, yeah. Well, wait, what's today? today yeah, today's Thursday. So Tomorrow's the last up. episode. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't think I've seen the last episode. I'm just uh, saying that the fact that, that he's back. That oh, Boba Fett is Yeah, that's back. not a spoiler as of more than one episode ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, cool. Uh, although you are missing a very good episode. Yeah, I'm going to probably get on that tonight, actually. Uh, but yes, oh, I'm so, so, so happy to see Boba Fett pop back up and then, uh, kind of fight over the armor. I mean, they do, but they, uh, I think it's really cool that now they're on a journey together. Yeah. Uh, and also knee rockets. 
I just have to bring up knee rockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are maybe some of the coolest things I've ever seen. That was very sweet. I don't think I've seen that in any uh, character. I could That's not. totally original. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's our news. So let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsor. Let's do it. Hey, Danny. Our sponsors today are Gruber's Gastronomy Grub in Galore. Oh, that's that new Hans Gruber-themed bar. It is. I've heard they have a slew of diehard named grub and drinks. For our listeners, Gruber's Gastronomy Grub and Galore are giving away two free four-course meals. All you have to do, listeners, is be the first two people to mention Pop Culture Elevator and say the secret password, yippee Added bonus if you call the host a mother. Hey, PG-13 rating. <laughs> Thanks, Gruber's Gastronomy, Grub, and Galore. Yay! Okay, passengers, here we are to uh, the moment you all wait for, the elevator pitch where we uh, have our guests or ourselves say a 30-second movie pitch to, our, uh, to our, our invisible movie producer in the elevator on the way up or down from the studios. So uh, Dustin is our lucky victim today, and Mark and I are always so happy when we don't have to do it. Yes. Um, Dustin, I'm going to pull up three random words for you, and you will... Take those words. <laughs> oh, no, you're gonna take these <laughs> words and make it. <laughs> I'm sorry, passengers. I saw these and I was like, I'm glad I don't got these. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna make a movie pitch. Are you ready, Dustin? I will see. All right. Your words are rudder, accountant, and aid. Rudder, accountant, aid. Yep. Like a rudder on a boat? Yeah, I think That's so. R-U-D-D-E-R. Yeah. All right. So there's a there's a national catastrophe and the country is flooded due to rising temperatures and an accountant who's one of the last people to have any money left because he worked in a big finance job has taken it upon himself to take his yacht across the country and the yachts have rudders is that yeah i think so okay yeah. well and and rescue as many of the other wealthy people as possible that are struggling now for the first time ever so that they can have a society free of troubles and he's in charge and then the conflict comes when the regular people are watching this yacht come across the country and they all rise up against him Hey, that works. That was a it. perfect first uh, elevator pitch. Seriously, the way he to took, go, man. You see, you see how he went. Uh, he went full on. He gave us the uh, climate change. Yes, he gave us the war on on poverty versus rich. Oh yeah, yeah. You could make some statements in there. That would be a serious movie. Exactly. I'm like, okay. Like at first, my head was like, this accountant will be played by Vin Diesel. But then you went with, like, they're the rich people. And then I was like, man, who would be, like, the perfect, like, hero rich man? Oh, Xander Cage. Vin Diesel, of course. You, you're going to speak of Vin Diesel on that one? <laughs> no, I'm just going off of you. That's the so Rock, funny. maybe? Or, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, man. No, let's get Zachary Levi to do that. The dude who played Shazam. <laughs> I, mean, I can see that. He could be, like, a good yuppie. <laughs> No, I like it, Dustin. That's a good job. 
Really, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased, like, whenever we get a chance to have a guest on here, especially when their pitches are just amazing. You did a great job, man. Thank you so much. Especially, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Dustin, for coming on. We really appreciate uh, your willingness to, to be goofy with us and talk. You brought in some really awesome points about Die Hard that I wouldn't have thought of or that we probably wouldn't have thought of otherwise to talk about. Um, we always just like to have that other perspective because Mark and I are such on this wavelength that we're thinking a lot of the times. Yeah, a lot uh, of the times I listen to you guys and then I'm just like thinking to myself my thoughts and like it was, it's really nice to get to just be present and actually speak them as it happens. So here's my question. When this pops up on uh, Wednesday, are you going to actually listen to it? Oh man, I can't listen to my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> golly the first few episodes i i would uh be walk, going on a walk with my kid in his stroller and i would have pop culture elevator playing on my phone and i'd just be like i hate my voice i really <laughs> hate my voice i want this to shut up <laughs> oh well nothing will beat that uh bruce almighty moment where uh he's screwing with the uh newscaster steve carell at least it's not that bad yeah. <laughs> well, well, passengers, uh, give a round of applause to Dustin as he, he braved being on the show. And uh, yeah, as always, we love that you listened. That's right. And we'll see you back next week for another iteration of Pop Culture Elevator. And we've given so many hints of what the next movie is. We sure have. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Elevator. We love you, passengers. And remember, if you want to contact us, you can reach us at popcultureelevator at gmail.com, Instagram at popcultureelevator, Twitter at PCE Podcast, and our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash popcultureelevator. Thank you again for listening. We will see you next Wednesday.